What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I'm joined, as always, by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? You want to break some news on Geno Time, Tom? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess realistically, it's fine if we do, right? So, yeah, I have a new job. Uh, I'm leaving Mass Live. It was really fun covering the Celtics, and I'm always going to appreciate that. But I am actually joining Nicole's neck of the woods. I'm going to be a new sports writer for Boston.com. Congrats to Tom. Thanks, Nicole. I'm sure this We're comes as a... congratulate him in our reviews on the iTunes store and rate us five stars. This is the most craven thing we've ever done. <laughs> Tom and I are now co-workers. Yeah, which is going to be really cool. I'm still going to write about the Celtics quite a bit. Uh, I'll still be doing the podcast, so nothing changes there. My Twitter handle, I'm sure, will still be Tom underscore NBA. So I'm really excited. I mean, it's I think it's going to be a really fun job and a really cool spot. So besides my uh, career, we're going to get into a few things today. We're going to talk about uh, the traded player exception. The Celtics officially landed that. And uh, we'll touch on the news that broke today. We're recording this on Monday that Evan Turner is coming back to the Celtics uh, in a uh, assistant coaching role. It sounds like he'll be a player development guy. I think I speak for myself and the rest of the media when I say that I am just ecstatic to have uh, Evan Turner quotes coming back. This is a man who called himself a lethal three-point shooter at 15%. This is a man who once said that he should be the logo because he thinks that would get more women to watch the sport. And this is a man who once said that the Celtics weren't going to win a championship until they brought him back. I can't wait for Evan. I'm sure he's been working on a lot of new material. And uh, I'm looking forward to what assistant coach Evan Turner has to say. Are you fearful at all that he will be less of a good quote now that he is in like a coaching role? Yes, 1000%. <laughs> I think this this could be like a really good setup for some of the younger guys. Like Turner is 32 years old. Like he is pretty young for a guy entering the coaching ranks. Uh, I would like to say that he's still young, period. But I think that having somebody who is funny and engaging and has been in the NBA quite recently... If you're somebody like Romeo Langford or you're somebody, you know, like Aaron Neesmith or whoever it might be, like I could see having a guy, you know, having a guy like that around, you know, being a really good thing. Just somebody who can kind of help you in your first steps in the NBA and who knows what you've been through and has been there before and has been there pretty recently before. Like, I think that's a good hire. I, I think there's like the potential for this to be a, a pretty good partnership. He's young enough that when I first saw the news, I was like, oh, the Celtics are signing Evan Turner. But no, it yeah, was right bringing him back in a coaching capacity. I actually never covered him. I wasn't working in media yet when he was playing in Boston. So our paths have never crossed, but I knew he was a good quote. One, because like the beat writers never shut up about it. And two, anytime that his team was in Boston, the locker room would be empty because every beat writer would be in the visiting locker room trying to talk to Evans. So yeah. Sam Packard and I um, held down the home locker room on those days. Yeah. So I, I was pretty late in the Evan Turner experience. I, I was not like a very experienced reporter when he was here. So I was just kind of like hanging back a lot anyway. But I do remember one time Kevin O'Connor was in the locker room and accidentally knocked over Evan's water bottle, um, like off a chair. And Evan just like fake lost his mind at KOC was just like, I can't just be letting people walk around here knocking over my water bottles. What next? And it was just really letting him have it, which was very funny. But then when Turner was in Portland, I obviously had become a beat writer and I was traveling quite a bit. Uh, I was in Portland one time and we all went to the Portland locker room. 
Adam Himmelsbach uh, of the Globe tweeted out the quote that really made that session so great. Turner said, you guys are going to bring me back one day, whether it's GM or a president. I don't know if Danny or them is going to get it done or just as one of the players. I'll get my sixth man of the award or something. And then I'll do the Iguodala thing. I'll get finals MVP and me and Brad ride off into the sunset together with Brady. So I think obviously he's just trying to figure out a way to get me back and go get that championship. It's funny, like Evan Turner two years ago would really help this team, like this current team. A, a wing who could handle the ball and pass and kind of make mid-range jumpers and get to the line some and maybe be a li- like not a great defender but like pretty versatile that guy is exactly what they need like can they not like cut somebody and just like put Evan Turner on the roster like it feels like he uh you know obviously he hasn't been like a good player for a little while but like the archetype of player that he was is actually like a perfect fit for this team which is kind of funny shout out Evan Turner glad he's coming back Let's talk a little bit about the traded player exception. The Celtics are getting a, I believe, a $28.5 million trade exception. The trade exception is equal to the value of Hayward's first year on his new contract, um, which is one of the reasons that like nobody from the Celtics can actually say what it is. That would actually be breaking league rules because they'd be revealing the first year salary of a player. So $28.5 million, biggest traded player exception in league history. Uh, I mean, what were just kind of your initial reactions when you saw like, okay, sure enough, Danny got this done. Like one, it's good for the Celtics that they were able to get something in return. That's a win in itself that they even have that option. I think when the Hornets waived Nicholas Batum earlier in the day, people were like, oh no, like, does this mean it fell through? Like people were a little nervous, but then Sure enough, the Celtics were able to get it done and they didn't have to give up that much, just two future second rounders. I think it ended up working out basically to the best that they would have hoped. Um, it's actually funny to look at this deal in the context of like the Celtics two years ago when they had all this draft capital, all these like, you know, these super valuable picks that actually could have probably brought you back something really valuable. With a trade exception like this, the Celtics literally could have just traded those picks and gotten the player back. Like they wouldn't have had to match anything, but that is no longer the case. The Celtics only have their own picks really going forward. So I guess what type of player would they be able to get with this TPE? So it's it's an interesting question. Everybody's talking about Bradley Beal, right? Bobby Marks initially reported that it was going to be a $27.5 million trade exception. It's actually more than that. I believe now it's 28.5. Bradley Beal this season. Oh, wow. They still can't quite do it, I don't think, because he makes 28.7 million. Unless unless I have the numbers wrong, um, I actually don't think they can use the exception on Bradley Beal. And even if they did, you know, trade for Beal, again, that would have to be a situation where they were trading out smart just to make the contracts work. That's a complicated um, scenario. That being said, I mean, you go, you can just like literally go through the list of players in the NBA. Anybody who's on a deal where you're like, um, you know, that guy might be, you know, kind of disgruntled, that guy might want out. Um, the Celtics can probably make a deal for him as long as he's not like a literally a max guy. Like Bradley you know, Beal. Like Bradley Beal. I don't I'm think they can trade for like Kevin Love. They could still trade for Bradley Beal though, right? They would just have to give up more. Yes, they would not be able to use the trade exception. So if they can make it work with, you know, I mean, looking at the contracts, I, again, I think it would have to be like a, like a smart and Jalen or something like that, you know, something like that. Then sure. Of course they could, if they're going to trade for Bradley Beal, all of a sudden this team is going to look really different next year because yeah, I think that that would probably mean Jalen and smart would both probably have to be gone from a contractual standpoint. I, I would assume at that point, they would be really focused on using the traded player exception. Like they would have to go try to figure something else out with young guys or whatever else it might be. 
but yeah, I mean, again, go through a list of, you know, guys making 27 million or lower. And those are all guys the Celtics could go out and get And And it's easier for them to go out and get it. If you look at like guys who are making like 20 million and under because of the hard cap situation. One um, kind of funny name that a bunch of people have been throwing around because the numbers almost work perfectly is Al Horford. His contract is actually like bang, like right perfectly within the trade exception. I, don't think I do not foresee that happening. Yeah. yeah. But all the Celtics would have to do is give up some draft picks and OKC will come uh, come running to sign that deal. So they have a year to use it, a year give or take, obviously, because who knows when the next season's going to start and things like that. But they have a year to use it. Basically, either they're going to do it like by the deadline or next offseason, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, because it would be a trade. It's not a signing. I guess the point of me bringing up the deadline is that I don't anticipate them using this like immediately. Like I assume that they're right. going to the season start. They're going to see how the team looks. They're going to see who might become available. They're going to sort of see how the league shapes out. And then at the deadline, maybe get aggressive or take stock. Like I don't expect them to do something like right away. I think that's exactly right for a bunch of reasons. Number one, I think that like this team is going to look so drastically different and like it potentially might look like the team that competed and and beat the Toronto Raptors, except with a deeper bench. This is still a pretty good basketball team. Like, are they the dynasty that we all thought they might be in like 2017? Like, of course not. They're not close. This is still a pretty good basketball team. If I were the Celtics, I would want to take a look at it before I started shifting things around and messing with it. And number two, to your point, and I think this is really important, this trade exception is big enough. They can afford to sit around and wait a little bit and say like, like it's tough to come up with names, but like, let's say the Celtics were really high on the Marcus Aldridge or whatever, you know, like maybe that guy is just like all of a sudden available for super cheap. All of maybe he's so disgruntled that all it's going to take is like a first round pick. And then you just have LaMarcus Aldridge for a first round pick. Like that's why you hang on to an exception like this. Like this is a big enough one that like you can afford to be careful because again, if something comes available and there's a guy who makes like 9 million or there's a guy who makes 14 or 15 million, like, you know, if there's somebody who's making Marcus smart money, you can go get that guy and still have some left over. So there's a lot of room to play with it. And yeah, like a, a lot of kind of flexibility. There's a lot of things that a trade exception can't do, but then there's also kind of like a lot of kind of intriguing things, especially for a capped out team that it can. So yeah, I think that's exactly right. I would not expect to see this used in the next few weeks and then if they don't use it at the deadline, they'll have one last opportunity during the next offseason to try and see what they could get with it. I'm really looking forward to everybody busting out. Like Danny Ainge jokes don't bother me at all because it's just like, yeah, like, I mean, he's made some mistakes. He's done some things that I think were probably like not the smartest thing. Like we've covered it before. He signed Dennis Cantor. But um, like these ones are dumb because like everybody's just so impatient. I think it's the impatience that annoys me is that like everybody's like, ah, he's got to use it. He's got to use it. And it's like, he doesn't yet. He should try to use it if he can. But yeah, like maybe, uh, maybe just chill for just a little bit. Um, I'm really looking forward to everybody at the trade deadline. If he doesn't use it being like, here goes Danny Ainge again. He almost always, he think of the guys that Danny almost traded for with the trade exception. And it's going to be like, well, but like maybe somebody comes available at the end of the season. Like you just don't know. It's really early, but I don't have a prediction one way or the other, because I think it's so contingent upon how the team looks and just where they rank within the league. Exactly. I mean, the the best case scenario is that this team is really competitive and Aaron Neesmith is ready to go right away and can help out the bench. And like Peyton Pritchard is a little bit better than everybody expects. And Rob Williams takes a big step forward. And at that stage, you can afford to be like, you know, you can either afford to be picky and wait for the exact right thing to come available. And if it doesn't, that's fine because you're hopeful in your team, or you can afford maybe Romeo's really good. Maybe Rob is really good. Maybe those guys have 
actual trade value and can be put along with the exception, you know, into a deal that then, uh, you know, can, can land you somebody pretty promising. Maybe your young guys are good enough that you don't have to trade Marcus Smart to make a deal work. And then to that end, I think another reason why it's sort of hard to project what's going to happen is because you just don't know who's going to become available. Like there are, like you mentioned, there are guys that fit the number, right? And that are in scenarios that could end up sort of going south, but it really is difficult to just like identify people right now. I mean, this is one of my least favorite things about this whole conversation. Everybody wants like, okay, so who are your targets? And I'm like, dude, who makes less than 28 million? I could tell you like the Celtics could target Evan Fournier and it'd be like, yeah, I mean, sure. Like he can score. He's a wing, whatever, like fine. But like, I don't know. It could be anybody making less than $28 million. That's a lot of guys. So I've tried very hard not to get into the, uh, like, here's some guys they could target business. Cause like those are almost always wrong. Anyway, they're going to have a wide range of options available to them. And, and a lot of it is going to be contingent on whether their players have actual trade value or not. I guess something else too, is like basically every Western conference team thinks that they're going to make the playoffs or wants to make the playoffs, obviously, except the thunder. I feel like that's potentially going to make things difficult because I feel like that playoff picture is going to be pretty tight and teams might be hesitant to move good players like that the Celtics would want, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, no, it absolutely does. And, and to make matters even more complicated, every team that thinks they can make the playoffs is now actually right because like 10 teams are going to be in with, with the play-in scenario. And even just looking at how the 8, 9, 10 situation turned out this past year, like it was all within like a game or two, like it's not going to be decided by the trade deadline. So I feel like Western Conference teams, with the exception of the Thunder and maybe the Spurs, like they're going to be pretty hesitant to move guys of that magnitude because anybody making that amount of money presumably is pretty important to like the team's contributions. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's teams that are interesting, right? Like, I think Minnesota is kind of interesting. Like, you know, maybe like maybe Malik Beasley gets his, uh, you know, legal situation figured out. Like, you know, maybe maybe somebody like that could come available. You know, I think that there's a very realistic chance that like Sacramento ends up uh, not being in that range. Shout out to our guy, Kyle Draper, by the way, headed out to Sacramento. Kyle's a good dude. Happy for him. Sacramento, you know, Buddy Heald, uh, Harrison Barnes. Guys who could definitely help the Celtics. Like, they're not going to be guys who everybody's like, holy, we got like Bradley Beal. That's awesome. But like, those are good players. Those are guys who would definitely help. Buddy Heald is like a close second to Chris Middleton at this point in terms of like <laughs> Celtics assassins. So, yeah, for sure. Like, the one thing with Heald is that he's pretty much exactly what the Celtics are hoping Neesmith is going to turn into. So, we'll see on that score. But Apart from like Minnesota, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, and like you said, maybe San Antonio, I'm not sure how many teams are going to be sellers in the Western Conference. And then when you look at like the bottom feeders in the East, I'm just not sure how many good players there are in there. Like, I mean, maybe you could get like, uh, well, now now I'm playing the whole game of maybe they could get this guy, but you know, like uh, like a Zach Levine makes like 20 million a year. He he would fall into that category. I mean, I think there's guys who could be had. So we'll see what happens. My point is, I just think it's not as I would understand if it doesn't happen at the trade deadline. Like, I just don't think it's like a given like, oh, we're going to get a player by February and things are going to be great. I think that's exactly right. Is there anybody that you uh, that that you're interested in or like, is it mostly just kind of like, uh, let's see if there's any wing they can bring along? Um, I mean, I saw George Hill's name floated around quite a bit, like even prior to the TPE as a potential Celtics target. Aaron Gordon, I think really they just need like proven 
wing help because obviously that's what Gordon left. Like that's the biggest void right now. Of course, any scoring you can get off the bench, they'll take. I think their best case scenario is to just get like essentially proven wing help. It's interesting, right? Because like, I can't decide if I'm the Celtics right now, would I rather have that versatile wing defender or would I rather have a guy that I know can get buckets off the bench? Like, I truly can't decide. I mean, that was part of the problem with Gordon was that they were hoping he was going to be that super versatile wing defender. And he was okay, but he was never the same after his injury. Maybe having that super versatile guy would like vault them up a level, or maybe they just need (laughs) buckets. I mean, I think that is part of the reason why how the team does is will influence this decision. Cause like if and Neesmith aren't ready or if Neesmith's shooting doesn't carry over to the NBA or something like that, then obviously they're going to want shooting. But if they're like good to go and like contributing and like the bench is rolling, then I think maybe they'll stress the versatile wing defender a lot more. I don't know. It'll it'll definitely be interesting. And I guess we sort of touched on this earlier. I don't think that this rules out like Bradley Beal. Like just because they got the traded player exception doesn't mean the Celtics wouldn't send out Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown or whatever the package would be to get Bradley Beal if he does become available. I still think they very much would be in on that. And then the traded player exception, I think, would then make them feel a little bit more comfortable with giving away Smart and Jalen because then hopefully you could fetch something to like sort of round out that core um, of Tatum, Beal, and whoever. So I don't know. I don't think like anything, I mean, again, not breaking any news here. I don't think anything is set in stone. Shout out to friend of the show, uh, Jam Packard. Anything is potable. We've often said it. (laughs) I think it really depends on how the team looks and the team could look a whole number of different ways. Like if Robert Williams takes the leap, if Romeo Langford is like even healthy to offer anything at any point before the trade deadline, who knows if that's, that could, he might not even play like before the trade deadline. Like that's possible. Probably unlikely, but possible. Yeah. Like play like meaningful minutes. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Like Kemba might not be healthy. Who knows like what that situation looks like. So I just think there's so many unknowns with the Celtics that things will crystallize two months in. I think one thing that's really interesting is that over the last few years, people have accused Danny Ainge of being heartless and trading everyone. And they've also accused Danny Ainge of like um, sitting on his assets too long. So like, I, I don't know, whatever. But I think I think there is some validity to the idea, like not necessarily that Danny like should have traded all of his assets right away. I mean, when you look at what those assets became, it's like, oh, he should have traded the number three pick for Jimmy Butler. And it's like, well, Jimmy Butler's a really good player, but like they got Jalen Brown. Oh, he should have traded the number three pick for Paul George. Well, they got Jason Tatum, who's like better than Paul George, like right now. All of that. So I understand why he sat on those assets, why he kept those around. Like that makes sense. They were valuable. Trading them for the wrong thing would have been disastrous. Like it was mildly disastrous that they traded the number eight pick for Kyrie Irving. And like, I a hundred percent understand why you made that deal, but in the zero sum game, that is the NBA where you either win or you don't win. They would probably rather have that number eight pick cost controlled for seven years than two years of Kyrie Irving that resulted in the departure of Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. You know, like I think that Danny probably, probably understandably sat on those because like, if you miss, you're in a lot of trouble. And also he was trying to build like a dynasty. Like he was trying to like literally build this Kyrie. I mean, I I think he was trying to build like a Kyrie ADKD type thing. Now, however, the Celtics kind of are what they are. They're a good team with some assets and this one really good tool. I think there's a reasonable chance that like 
you know, we'll see if it works out or not. And we'll see if it even gets out to the media or not. But like, I would not be surprised if the Celtics do try to use this trade exception for something kind of big, like, like, why not? Like this team is not, you know, I mean, maybe you could call them a contender if you want to stretch the definition of the word a little bit, you're not going to call them like a favorite, like the Lakers are the favorite. They're so far above everybody right now. Why not take a swing on something? Like you actually can kind of afford to do that now. I'm not saying he's going to be reckless. I'm not saying he's going to like go just like float like really good players that he wants to keep around the league. But I do think that there is like the Celtics asset cupboard is now bare, you know, like it's not like he can just kind of keep kicking the can down the road. So if he's not happy with this team, I think that he could go out and make an aggressive move, maybe more safely than in the past. I also do wonder whether last year will influence him and maybe inspire him to be a little bit more aggressive because Mm. sort of the questions that he got asked at the conclusion of the postseason was like, do you wish you were more aggressive at the trade deadline last season, realizing how close you were to a championship? Last season was obviously a unique situation with the bubble and the split season and everything like that. But this season still is going to be sort of an anomaly. Like it's only 72 games. Who knows? I mean, the league hasn't even released the second half of the schedule because who knows what is going to happen. But I do wonder whether he sort of recognizes like, this could be our shot. So I should be aggressive. And yeah, the Lakers got better and are the obvious favorites, but the East at the very least seems wide open enough where I could see him thinking like, okay, if I'm aggressive and make whatever the move is, but like X, Y, Z, like we really have like a chance to get to the finals. And if you get to the finals, anything can happen. The Cavaliers came back and beat the Warriors. Like anything can happen in the finals in 2018, if they were on a spectrum of like, okay, we have, we have our guys, we're not going to be aggressive at all because we want to see how this plays out. I think now they're a little bit closer to the middle where they're like, we have a good team, not like the team that we wanted this whole time, but a good team. And now we can afford to like play with the edges, you know, maybe like, look, if we want to like take somebody kind of important out of the middle and put somebody else important into the middle, like that's okay too. I think that's, I think that's where they sit now. And that's not a bad place to be. It's not as good as like, you know, potentially having Kyrie, KD, and AD, but it's 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 a good spot to land, I think. I mean, they have the players, like they have the personnel to be really good. It's just yeah. a matter of their development. Like if Jason and Jalen continue on their current trajectory, that's pretty damn good. I, I think so many teams would die to have that duo like <laughs> at the center, like so to have to have like a potential probably a top 10 player right now or at least very close under contract for the next like four plus years <laughs> it's a pretty good spot to be in yeah so like if they both continue to take leaps or even jumps because last year both of them took like enormous leaps I think we forget or at least I forget what they were like at the beginning of the season to what they closed like they took huge leaps So if they jump, but then it's like if Grant Williams and Robert Williams take leaps, those are obviously less certain and and it's not to the same extent like Robert Williams. Actually, I mean, Robert Williams could be one of the best centers in the league if he learned how to like. If he he maximized himself, he literally could. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But Grant obviously won't. But if they can have that reliable role player off the bench or even maybe asserting forward, depending on the lineups and like who's healthy and stuff like that's huge. And then I am very low on Kemba's health. Based on what you know about the guy and what happened last year, I think it's impossible to be high on his health. And just given his age too, like, I just don't think that that's something you can count on. If Kemba can just last though for a season or if they can load manage him effectively to a point where he 
can last, like that's a win at this point. But I just think that there are things that can really play in the Celtics favor. They have the pieces right now. It's just a matter of whether those things really like manifest themselves, I guess. Well, and I feel like so much of it, I think you touched on it. I think so much of it is just Kemba. This team makes so much more sense if Kemba Walker is healthy and good and just not even doesn't even have to be Charlotte Kemba. If he can just be like 85% of Charlotte Kemba, this team makes so much more sense. And we'll see if that's the case. If it's not, I think the Celtics will have to take a hard look at what's next because like Jalen and Jason are really good basketball players, but they're two guys. This team used to have a lot more players around those two guys and then three of them bolted. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, yeah, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have our conversation with Jared Weiss of The Athletic. All right, guys, welcome back. We are uh, thrilled to be joined by our good friend, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, how you doing, man? Thrilled. I am thrilled to be here. (laughs) What has been your take on, you know, like the Celtics losing Gordon Hayward, where, where, where do you stand on sort of the uh, state of the Celtics right now? So this is officially the Celtics suck segment of the Geno Time podcast. I, it's like the question is, are the Celtics not good anymore? And I think they're so good. And I think this has gone very poorly for them the last week because they like we knew that the Pacers showdown was coming. I reported on it like two months ago. They've had months and months and months knowing what the package was going to be. Like they, they probably should have had the deal figured out before Green even started. Not that we would ever tamper. We don't do that in the NBA. Obviously, we know that, guys. Don't be ridiculous, Nicole. But I was shocked that they didn't work that deal out. I'm kind of surprised that Indiana didn't cave because why does Indiana really want Victor Oladipo if they're getting Gordon Hayward? And they don't want Miles Turner. We know that they wanted to get rid of Miles Turner. This was like a really clean way for them to get rid of two players that it made sense for them to move on from in a way where you're not maximizing asset value, but you're at least getting a guy that you know you want. I don't think they're going to get a player that fits them better than Hayward does when, as, as they try to pivot out of the Oladipo situation. And this was probably their best chance to get rid of Miles Turner. So I guess as we found out through this process, there's not a lot of teams chomping at the bit to get Miles Turner. I was shocked that the Celtics didn't want him. I, I really thought they were going to want him, even though it you know, didn't really fit their usual strategy. It just seemed like a good opportunity to get like to get some sort of continuity and talent. I guess Ainge decided I would rather have the talent sacrifice than be locked into paying these guys money that we just don't want to pay them. You know, I mean, they they know better than we do, obviously, on whether it was the right call. It doesn't seem like the right call from from this perspective. But, you know, every single time it seems like they made the wrong decision on something, they're able to pull a rabbit out of the hat that we didn't see coming. So I'm sure that they have, you know, as a, as like a front office that really masters in game theory and charting out 500 different outcomes that could come out of every situation. I'm sure they have a bunch of different ways that they can see this pan out. The trade exception, while those trade exceptions very rarely get used, I feel like this is a pretty clear situation where it's probably going to get used at some point. And then the Thompson signing I liked, I, I think Ibaka had already picked the Clippers before they went with Thompson. So I obviously would have preferred Ibaka than Thompson. I prefer Thompson to Aaron Baines, I think. So I, I like it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Teague, as long as he's on the minimum, I don't think we know yet if he's on the minimum or the biannual exception. If he's on the minimum, I think that's that's a good deal because he, on the minimum, only makes like 800000 less than the biannual. So you could pay somebody young who would only get like $1.2 million 
the biannual, which is three times that as opposed to Teague, where it's not that much of a raise. So if that turned out to be the minimum and they sold that biannual to go get just they need another score of some type, whether it's another point guard that can give them high energy and good shooting or a wing that can do something with the ball. That's kind of the one thing that they're missing now. That's I think that's kind of the unfinished business. And we'll see what happens with that extra spot. Yeah, for sure. I want to back up real quick, going back to Miles Turner for a second. So I'm actually, I, I come down on the other side where I just, I don't think that Miles Turner, there's been some like hyperbole, I think on like, you know, Celtics internet where people are like, Miles Turner isn't good. And I like, I, I don't, I don't buy that. I just don't think that like Miles Turner is a good fit for the Celtics. Like actually a hundred percent, not a hundred percent, but like, I, I get why Danny Ainge would not have wanted to just go get him. Cause like, if you think about it from the Celtics perspective, like the type of big that they need is somebody who I think is going to be like either somebody who's going to be very versatile or is going to be Tristan Thompson. They need the, like the, the versatile guy because he just kind of fits the team concepts really nicely. Or they need the, like the big bruising guy who can like, you know, kind of hold up against obviously your Joel Embiid, your, your Bam out of bio, honestly, to me, Turner just isn't that guy. And so if he isn't actually like fitting your needs at center, going out and paying him 18 million. Like I know he can like, you know, protect the rim and I know he can shoot threes, but like 18 million for those two things for a guy who presumably offensively would be like pretty low usage anyway, that just feels like a lot to me. And like, especially like if you're talking about paying 25 million to him and Doug McDermott, I don't know, like that, that type of deal just like never made much sense to me. You know, I certainly understood why Ainge was, was pushing for Oladipo or was pushing. I mean, obviously we understand why he was pushing for TJ Warren, um, <laughs> but like, I laughed when I saw that. Like, come I was on, like, I, that's I, ridiculous. I think you're doing that one, Danny. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to me, like, I just like thought that honestly, like, passing on the 18 million that Turner is going to make when he doesn't necessarily fit what you're hoping to do defensively anyway, just kind of made some sense. I think like, there's no counter argument to that for sure. I looked at what they did with Daniel Tice, and I thought, what if you did that, but with a guy who's like four inches taller and more athletic? And, and, a, and a, a better, better shooter, shooter. Yeah. Yeah, in, his 20, <laughs> in his 24 years old. So I was like, I was looking at Miles Turner like, hey, I know he's been kind of underwhelming and he's been out of his role for a while now. Like he's, he plays the five next to a bunch of wings, not next to Domus Abonas. It's not a good fit. So mm-hmm. I figured you put him in Boston situation with their history of maximizing players and player development. I was pretty confident he would do really well here and he would thrive here. And it's funny because 18 million is really tricky because 18 million, it's a reasonable number for a basketball player, but it seems like the methodology nowadays is you pay your center either 9 million or 29 million. You don't want a center that's worth in between because that's when you're getting bad value. In their situation, their perimeter players are already locked in. They already have all of their starting perimeter players locked in. So overpaying on your center isn't that big of a deal because it's not like you're going to ever have cap space again. They're not going to have cap space for like eight years now. Um, Well, actually, that's not true. I guess they're thinking, hey, maybe we can have cap space in like four years from now when it's time to pivot on whatever core we've built. And we got to rebuild around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum or LeBron James III or whoever it is at that point. So I think that was probably a factor of it. And fans do not like getting on board with uh, with being fiscally responsible four years from now, but it's why you don't make some of those decisions. But actually, you know, now I think about it, Miles Turner's only got three years left on his deal. So as I try to talk myself into being on board with the decision, I keep finding new ways to feel like it was a bad decision. So at the end of the day, I just disagree with the decision. And I think it just comes down to their talent evaluation of Miles Turner. Yeah, I think that I think it's as simple right. as that. Um, I'm curious as to why you prefer 
Tristan Thompson over Aaron Baines? Wow, you really tilted your head on that one. Like, that was a very <laughs> judgmental question. A couple reasons. Um, health and age. Tristan is only 29 still. I don't know how that's possible because he's been in the NBA for like 17 years. But he's still in his 20s. So I'm pretty sure he's in his prime, even though it feels like he's old. While Baines, he's older and he hasn't been that consistently healthy, if I remember correctly, over the past few years. So a little bit of it is just that health has just been such a nightmare for them. And availability is the best ability. I hate that phrase, but it's really true. Um, And right now that really matters for them, especially because of their center depth being so young right now, like in a situation where they have to really count on Rob Williams to step up. It's more important than ever that they make sure they at least have one healthy center because Tice has had, he's suffered injuries pretty much every single year now. I think Tristan's like to be able to count on his uh, availability is big. And then the other thing is that I, I think that he could give them a bit of a dimension of, he can give them a blend of what Ennis Cantor gave them offensively and what Baines was able to give them defensively a couple of years ago. I feel like they're going to need to change their offensive scheme a little bit this year where they're just going to, they're going to have to rely on somebody to clean stuff up a lot of the time. And they're going to have to rely on real pick and roll, which they haven't done much of like last year when they ran pick and roll with Tice, it was just Tice was just a blocker out there as a snake and seal play. Really Thompson gives them a legitimate pick and roll partner that they can do some creative scoring stuff with, the kind of stuff that they want to do with Rob Williams that we'll see if Rob is ready to do. But Tristan is someone that we know can do that pretty reliably. Baines has just never been that kind of player. He's not really a pick-and-roll scorer. And then when he catches the ball on the move, he really struggles to get to like a jump hook that he can score with. So I just think that Thompson, he can give them more offensively. He could do both of what Baines can do defensively. I do think Baines, I mean, Baines is a pretty incredible rim protector and is a very good pick and roll defender. I think Thompson is just good at both of those things. And so like Serge Ibaka would have been ideal. Thompson, I think, is a very good compromise between the two of them. They only had to pay a little bit more for Thompson than they did for Baines. I just assumed that you were buying into the nine for 23 three-point shooting last year. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know how I am with big sample sizes, baby. (laughs) I mean, I guess I sort of, like many fans, have a bit of a soft spot for Baines, and I was curious that they would be interested in bringing him back given their need and his availability. You know what the first tweet I saw, though, was when, when the news came out? was Nicole Yang at Nicole C. Yang. I can't remember your Twitter handle off the top of my head. Quote tweeting it saying, this is perfect timing with the final season of the Kardashians uh, being taped now. Forget about Aaron Baines' locker room presence. We got to talk about Khloe Kardashian's locker room presence. That's the big topic of conversation here. I am intrigued as to how the Kardashians are going to infiltrate the locker room. One, because if you recall, during one of the Jumbotron segments, all the Celtics were asked, like, what reality TV show would you like to be a part of if you had a choice? And Kyrie was like, I wouldn't join a reality <laughs> TV show even for a hypothetical. And Aaron Baines was like, can Kyrie I? Kyrie be- was like, put me right in the middle of the alchemist or else I'm quitting. <laughs> Aaron Baines was like, can I do Naked and Afraid without being naked? And then... <laughs> and Afraid. <laughs> Jason Tatum's answer was keeping up with the Kardashians. Wow, no way. Yes, and I so I tweeted that the night that it happened. It was like two years ago because obviously Kyrie was on the team and everybody was like responding to me or quote tweeting it being like, keep him away, protect him. And I feel like people are a little nervous because um, Kendall has dated multiple NBA players, including Ben he's, Simmons. 
he's finally he's rich the- enough to date her too these this is like perfect timing <laughs> it'll be really interesting i mean kim already posted on her instagram like boston here we come so i think they are gonna luck out and i doubt that there will be fans for at least the beginning of the season so i don't think we'll see any of the kardashians courtside to start but they definitely will be coming at some point this is going to be the worst season of all time. Like, <laughs> like this is going to be worse than 2018-19. Even if the team is good, it's going to be miserable to have people like, one, who are like all of a sudden interested because of the Kardashians are involved. And two, it's going to be miserable to have people who like just want to complain about the Kardashians. Both sides of it are just going to be so catastrophically annoying. I mean, how rarely does People Magazine write about an NBA signing? Like People Magazine, Us Weekly, like they were all writing about Tristan's contract. Because like, (laughs) I'm not sure if they've already finished filming because I know the season's supposed to air in 2021. So it's possible that like the production crews won't even come. So it's, it's, uh, you know, we're we're all going to feast because our numbers are going to go up because of the fan base that we're inheriting. So this is a shrewd business move by the Celtics to get the media back on their side after having a terrible offseason. This conversation has made me out on the Tristan Thompson signing that I was previously very in on. I thought it was a great signing, and now I'm just mad about it. So then, like, back to basketball, do you envision Tristan <laughs> being the uh, starting center? Like, do you think that he would potentially earn the starting role over Tice, or do you think they're going to ride Tice and see how things go first? Yeah, it's a really good question. I... I think he's better than Tice, probably. If he if, if he benefits from being in the system the way that seemingly every other big man does, I assume he's going to end up being better. I don't know if Tice is necessarily good enough that it's like we have to give the spot back to him. If things are working with Thompson, I could see them sticking with the way it was. He, I mean, Tice was really good last year. He was one probably in the upper, it was, or I guess he was right in the middle of the pack of like starting centers for the NBA last year, which was incredible considering he was a backup power forward the year before. Uh, so they really maximize what they can get out of him. And hopefully he just kind of springs right back from his knee surgery and he's pretty much good to go as, when he gets back out there. I think because of those factors, I wouldn't be surprised if Thompson starts. But don't forget, last year Ennis Cantor started and then he got hurt and then he only played one game and then Tice took over. So I assume that means the basketball gods will injure Tristan Thompson on opening night so that Daniel Tice can get his spot back. I do think if Tice, and I think independent of the Tristan Thompson signing, he should be working on this and plan to be working on it. I do think if he made like big improvements in his three-point shot, if he felt more comfortable taking those and was able to knock those down in games, he could be the preferred choice over Tristan Thompson. Cause I don't think just like Tristan Thompson even attempt threes coming into last season. He was like, Oh, for six on his career. Yeah. So, right. so I just, that's not a part of his game. And that makes sense. And like, who knows, maybe Brad will do what he did to Aaron Baines and turn him oh, into definitely. a three point shooter. Nicole, I think the next time that you talk to Brad, you should phrase it exactly like that and tell Brad, Brad, remember when you turned Aaron Baines into a three-point shooter? Because I think Brad would really like being given credit for a player developing into a three-point shooter. (laughs) He did do that. And honestly, they did that with Tice. It just hasn't really shown up that much. But like, that's been an emphasis, I feel like, on all of, or not all of, but like recently, they really made that a focus and it worked. Maybe it didn't happen as frequently as they would have liked with Tice. Like, I don't think, I don't know what his attempts were. Last year, his three-point shot kind of disappeared. It was kind of weird it was um tom do you have the numbers now yeah it's weird they actually didn't dip as much as i thought they did so in 2018-19 per 36 obviously because he played more this year 
Um, per 36, he shot 2.7 in 2018-19. 2019-20, it was just 2.2. So really did not fall off as much as I thought it did. But what about the percentage? I think the percentage yeah, so the fell percentage off. The percentage fell off, yeah. Okay. percentage went from 38.8 to uh, 33.3. Okay. Yeah, so when he had to scale up his actual shooting, it didn't it didn't hold up at all. Right, right. And in the playoffs, they were abandoning him, and he was breaking wide open threes. So I would expect Thompson to take a lot of threes next year. They they always do this, but it doesn't always work out that way. I remember there was this really intrepid reporter uh, last August who went to New York to watch Ennis Cantor work on his three point game. That reporter's name was Jared Weiss, who wrote an extensive extensive feature on how Ennis Cantor was working to prove Danny Ainge's uh, press conference proclamation that Cantor is going to be a three-point shooter, correct? And Oh my God, I, I forgot he less. made that. <laughs> Danny said at the presser that Ennis was going to be a three-point shooter. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going down to New York. I might as well do the story. <laughs> and I had a great time doing the story. Ennis was great. Uh, Ennis took like three threes last year. He never, he didn't even shoot the ball at all last year. It was so bizarre. He made that he, one like, missed... three in the bubble, I think. And it was <laughs> yeah. like miraculous. <laughs> he wasn't even a terrible three-point shooter throughout his career. Like he's always been able to take the shot. He just never was good at it. And then last year, after all that hype, he just like literally didn't shoot at all. It was ridiculous. Ennis this season was a sparkling one for seven from three point. <laughs> On the whole season. The whole season. That's incredible. <laughs> Truly Ben Simmons numbers from Ennis Cantor <laughs> shooting the three. Not even. Didn't Ben hit multiple threes this year? He did. He did. Yeah. Wow. Get on that level. <laughs> Shoot a three, you coward, Ennis. <laughs> Fond farewell to the Ennis Cantor era. Did you have, uh, Jared, did you have, have any like major thoughts? I mean, I don't think we've, we've, we've obviously we haven't spoken to you on here since the draft. Uh, what, what did you think of the Celtics draft? Oh, I've never had a major thought in my life, but um, <laughs> the draft was, I thought the draft was really solid. I would have taken Tyrell Terry over Peyton Pritchard, but going through the tape the other day, which it turns out I'm not allowed to use Pac-12 tape or any of the other uh, major conferences. So my film breakdowns are very devoid of actual film uh, on, the, on the draft guys. But uh, so I, I do like Pritchard's game. I think he's going to be like a solid third guard in the NBA. Um, and he's a pretty ideal replacement for Brad Wanamaker. And I tweet, I tweeted out like my story of like Peyton Pritchard with Kemba Walker being out, he has a chance to step up his role. And everyone's like, what are you saying? He's going to start over Jeff Teague. I'm like, no people. If Kemba Walker's hurt, Jeff Teague will obviously be the one that plays, but Peyton Pritchard is going to play somewhat of a role this year. Clearly he's yeah. not going to, He's not going to play eight minutes like Carson was last year. I assume Carson Edwards doesn't exist anymore. Like, have we gotten a location on him at this point? Well, we know like, he's that... we know he's in Boston because he's playing Catan with Aaron Neesmith and uh, oh, that's right, Grant Williams. So that's right, and Peyton too, right? Yeah, yeah, and Peyton. Yeah, I don't know what happens with Carson Edwards. I'm surprised he's still there, um, especially after they drafted a guy who's who definitely is a. Di- I mean, Pritchard and Carson Edwards are different players for sure. They have a different approach to doing the same thing, but they do the same thing. They fill this the same role. You can. You can play with both of them out there if you really want to. I just, I think defensively it's going to be a problem. And then quickly, Neesmith, I mean, he was one of the top targets for the team. Um, it hurts when Vassell and Halliburton fall right there and and you're like, holy crap, we could get like a like a really good starter. And then it's like, oh, no, you have to just settle for what you expected. But Neesmith is, is totally the exact guy they should have drafted at 14. I think that was a good pick. The craziest thing about Halliburton falling that far is just like if they knew at that stage, I mean, obviously they had to have an idea that like there was a chance that Hayward was gone, 
you would feel, I think you would feel better about Hayward leaving if you had gotten, I mean, Neesmith is nice, but if you had gotten Halliburton instead, he's not a perfect replacement, but at least then you have some like secondary creation. You have some like real versatile defense. You have some spot up three point shooting. Like, you know, you have all that stuff that is like, you know, Neesmith, I, I mean, he'll certainly give you spot up three point shooting and he'll do it in a more versatile way than, uh, you know, than Halliburton did. But like, I don't know, man. And, and I thought the Neesmith pick was good too, but, but like the Celt- I, I think the Celtics, it really must've kind of stung to not have been able to move up like at all especially like a couple of days later when they found out that Hayward was gone and that must have been like the Justice Winslow call to MJ like he must have been like I'll give you all four of my I'll give you Austin and four picks you need a GM who knows what he's doing so I'll give you Austin <laughs> Ainge I mean I'm sure that they tried really hard to make those I know they made a ton of calls to get up higher in the draft I didn't get any intel about like what they did once Halliburton started sliding but I'm sure they tried really hard to move up and I'm sure teams said if you want us to pass on getting Tyrese Halliburton at this stage of the game uh, you're gonna have to give up something you're not gonna want to give up and they're like well you know what I'd rather just have Neesmith and have my guys so Romeo Langford better turn out to be really freaking good because I'm sure teams are like you better give us Romeo three first round picks and they said no to that there's a lot of pressure on Romeo this year yet again he's gonna come in to the season having been injured for like most of the offseason and like unable to do anything i don't know it's going to be an interesting year for him i wouldn't be surprised if he gets surpassed in like the depth chart like very early by neesmith and then like he has a chance to like work himself back above neesmith like next offseason yeah i mean again at least it's on a lower body injury so like at least he can stay in shape it's funny the celtics look like they're the team that's gonna be screwed the most by the schedule they're the team that went super late had multiple players had to have offseason surgery tatum and brown played like incredible minutes and we'll see how they're doing grant i just i talked to grant earlier today and he's insistent that he's a completely transformed person so i don't know what that means for his basketball game but at least at least as a man he's grown (laughs) so no but grant grant's confident that he's gonna he's going to be a more a more evolved player and he has a big opportunity here he yeah, might be the person that slides into the starting lineup if Kemba's not ready yet I assume Marcus is going to play the one you slide Jalen and Jason down Grant could be starting this year which would be super fun for all of us obviously all right guys uh you can follow us on Twitter at Gino Time Pod you can uh, DM me or Nicole with any questions concerns suggestions for the show going and you forward. can DM me too if you have any questions for the pod as well please do uh DM uh at Jared Weiss NBA and we will uh we will talk <laughs> to you all again soon <laughs>